All right, welcome, welcome, everybody. We are going to make a start so that we can make a finish. My name's Andy. It's a privilege to be here with you. This seminar is following Jesus in the midst of life and ministry. So if you want to be here for that, you're here in the right spot. If you don't want to be, you can, um, you can go be where you want to be, or you can pretend like you're listening to me and be on your phone or something like that. It'll be fine. I know how it is. Sometimes you just need a mental health break, and that's okay. So don't feel bad about that. But if you are here for this seminar, so delighted you chose to be here. I'm guessing that you're here uh, because you're a church leader or uh, a leader in your church and you are wrestling with the things I'm wrestling with, how to have a deep, rich life with Jesus that is for you, uh, but then also overflows and touches other people. If you're like me, you know what it's like to be really pushed hard by all that you have to do, the responsibilities that you have, the needs of people that seem to be coming our way constantly. In leadership and in ministry, it seems like as soon as you cross something off of the to-do list, three more things appear on the to-do list. Does anyone have that experience? That's, it's amazing. It's like a, a bad miracle, you know? I look at my to-do list, I'm a, I, have, I, I love like paper, you know, these, this digital stuff, I'm, I'm still, you know, can't really cope with it, so I like paper, and so I have a big Sharpie that I like to cross things off with and feel, but then I just write more things on it, and it doesn't really work out for me. So you probably know that feeling too. There's always a crisis or a perceived crisis, uh, always something to fix, somebody to help very quickly, it can seem like you just constantly give and give and give away and there is little to no chance to be filled yourself. I've found that lines really easily get blurred in leadership in ministry as people look to you and you can begin to feel like your worth and value in the kingdom of God is measured by what you can do for people, for the organization, for the church, and our lives very quickly get consumed by doing, and it just gets a bit messy with blurred lines. Chances are, if you're like me, uh, insecurities pop up from time to time or all the time. Uh, do we have enough people? Are we successful? Is the small group going well? All that stuff. And we could go on and on. All these things and more seem to just drag us away from Jesus' vision of life in the kingdom and life with him. Uh, and which looks a lot like living in the center of his grace and mercy and love where we receive from him and we receive all that we need from him and then that life overflows and we give away out of that. And that's just a little paraphrase of John chapter 15, verse five that I think featured last night as well. A vision of deep, rich friendship with Jesus abiding in him and bearing fruit from that place overflowing in fruitfulness instead of striving, doing a bunch of stuff that we hope is fruitful, uh, and then being with Jesus if there's any time left over. I'd just love to take a little poll here just to connect with you a little bit. How many of you lead, your, uh, lead a vineyard church or any church? Okay, and how many of you um, lead within a vineyard church? Stupid question at a vineyard leaders conference, right? But I thought I'd ask. <laughs> And how many of you lead um, in an also or 
instead of in a non, non-church context. You lead at work and that kind of thing. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, we're probably here because of what I just said, and we're probably here because we actually have at times, at least, hopefully more than just at times, tasted the goodness of, of the John chapter 15 life and rhythms, at least a little bit, and we want that for us, and we want that for the people that we lead, and we, we want that all the time, not just glimpses of the promised land. We want to occupy the promised land. And I believe that we can intentionally live in and receive the love and presence of Jesus daily for us, and it really is possible to pastor and lead from the place of deep peace, rest, stillness, and joy. I believe that that's possible, and I think that that's something we should shoot for. It's not just possible, but it's what we should go for and, and try to be doing. Two main convictions uh, in this little seminar is we are supposed to give ourselves uh, to this kind of life and leadership for the sake of our own souls. In other words, we are to be disciples or apprentices of Jesus first before we try and make anybody disciples or apprentices of Jesus. But then second, we aren't just supposed to be disciples, we are to invite everyone that we meet, everyone that we influence into this kind of life for themselves. Not feeding off of our relationship with Jesus, but into this life with Jesus for themselves. Those are our two main jobs as Christians, I would argue, to live and lead from, the deep, from deep friendship with Jesus, letting his transformation of us and in us overflow and impact everything around us, and then teach other people how to do the same. I think that will look different for each of us, depending on uh, your geographic location, uh, size of church, uh, what, you, what you do in church or business or in the community. Um, and we're going to get to the kind of some how we might do this, but first I want to start with why we do this. Why, why should we do this? Why is this important? And uh, uh, some bright spark somewhere wrote a book on, you know, start with why, and uh, so we should probably start with why. So then I think I've got this amazing button. There we go. Amazing. Um, mine and my church uh, is not as straightforward as this one. I'm going to tell my people to get one like this. Big buttons. So people like me don't just push the wrong button all the time and like blow the place up or something like that. So this one says next and back. So really clear. <laughs> I will probably try, I will probably mess that up at some point anyway. But anyway, why? Well, my first reason uh, would be that this is what Jesus asked of us. We probably don't need any more whys after that. I have some, but this is like the most important one. This is what he invited us into in the first place. Be a disciple and make disciples. Live in his kingdom, receive his resources, invite others into the kingdom so that they can receive his resources. And why wouldn't we want to do that? And the task before us, no matter the size of church or what we do in the world, is to live as disciples and make disciples. If we're not willing to do all that we can to abide in Jesus, to bear fruit, to fulfill our assignments out of that place and invite others to do the same, I would just ask, what are we doing? I came to that place uh, a good number of years ago when I just realized I'm, I'm not doing that great of job of being a disciple. I'm not sure I'm helping anybody else being a disciple. I think we're kind of doing Christian entertainment. I'm not sure we're making or being disciples. What if we change that? What if we change that? And it's amazing how you can lead a church or a ministry or a small group or a business or whatever and not be a disciple or disciple people. And 
Doing it that way usually doesn't end very well, but if you have been in church or you've been a leader or a pastor for any length of time, you probably know that it's possible to do it that way. Don't recommend it, but it's certainly possible. I've tried it. Don't recommend it. Uh, So it's what Jesus asked of us. Another why is our people need to see it in us. Our people need to know that this life is possible and plausible. If you're leading in church or you are leading a church, one of your main roles is to model out life in the kingdom. Not do it for people, but to demonstrate in your own life that this is actually possible. Your life with Jesus is for you, but it's also for the people that you lead. We have to demonstrate that it's plausible to live life in God's presence, that that kind of life is accessible, and that it is the good and beautiful life. It is certainly messy, but it is the good and beautiful life. And we can no longer run on the fumes of Christendom and just talk about the kingdom, because culture just doesn't back that up anymore. We actually have to demonstrate it and show people how. And if we're leading church that don't, churches that don't, we're not discipling and we're not building for the long haul. If we can't devote ourselves to transformation through friendship and surrender to the risen Jesus, why should anybody else? Like if we can't do it, and we're leaders, why should we expect anyone else to want to do that? But if we can show them over time from the place of peace and rest, that following Jesus and living from his resources in our daily lives isn't just possible, but actually very doable, they will want that for themselves. They will live as disciples, not just converts, and they will begin to invite everyone they know to do the same. And something deep and powerful will impact our churches, our cities and towns, and our locations. Uh, Living this kind of John chapter 15 life, life of a disciple, life of presence, maybe we should call it, uh, sustains us in life and ministry. It's a place of sustaining power uh, for ministry and transformation. As we devote ourselves to Jesus and rhythms and practices that keep us attentive to him and in his presence, we're changed, we're formed by him, we're healed, we're satisfied. It's where we receive renewed anointing Vision, calling, it's where we're sustained. Our personal life with Jesus is the bedrock of longevity in leadership and overall faithfulness to him. It's the place where we tend to our relationship with Jesus, which keeps us close to him and faithful to him for the long haul. I love what we're doing this week. I love conferences. I think they're brilliant. We should keep doing it. I love, I got some prayer ministry at the end of the last session there. I got absolutely annihilated. I, I really needed it. And it was God's grace to me. And we should just do this all week long. But if our, vi- our vision of formation is I'm just gonna do a conference, get filled up, and then burn out until I get to the next conference and some kind of rhythm like that, it's not gonna sustain us. It's just not gonna work. We need a life with Jesus where we are filled, transformed, and are able to give away out of the overflow. And then moments like we're having this week are like icing on the cake instead of the cake. 
And if you're new to this and you're just trying to figure out this leading for the long haul thing, I would say don't try and do this work without a dedication to your personal life and rhythms with Jesus. We just don't need any more casualties. Uh, this one is uh, really near and dear to my heart, and I think about it a lot. Our life with Jesus increases our capacity to carry power and authority. People ask me all the time, like, how do you get authority, or how do you, like, get power? And my answer is always, you get it in proximity to Jesus. Jesus gives those things to his friends. So if you want authority from Jesus and you want his power and you want to steward that well, make sure you're really close to him because he gives it away to his friends. Um, Dallas Willard has an awful lot to say. He's one of my personal heroes. Uh, John Mark Comer, I am sure, will have a lot to say on this in his sessions. I'm thrilled that he's here. He's an amazing resource. Uh, but Dallas Willard has an awful lot to say on formation prepares us to carry power. Because if you're in the sessions earlier, we saw power for healing, people got healed. We saw God's power just encountering people dramatically and it's really power, it's power. And if we're not pursuing formation in Jesus' presence, power can do strange things to us. But if we have rhythms of prayer, solitude, Sabbath, silence, all those things form something in us. They keep us very close to Jesus, which is what we, of course, need to change and be transformed, but also our increases our capacity to carry the power and anointing and authority God wants for us. He can begin to trust us with more and more power. And if we're not placing ourselves intentionally in his presence over time, we will lose a lot. But one thing we will certainly lose is our capacity to carry power and authority. And if our people aren't growing in formation and as followers of Jesus, they probably aren't going to be able or even want to or know how to carry and use the power of Jesus over a sustained period over a lifetime. We've probably all seen people who are on fire for a while and then flame out or burn out or crash out. It's rhythms of formation that prepare us to carry greater amounts of power and authority for a lifetime. The closer people get to Jesus, the more they listen to him, the more they're gonna wanna do his works, and the more capacity they're gonna have to carry uh, his power for a lifetime. Building a life of intimacy and abiding in Jesus is not easy. It takes intention, it takes time, perseverance, it costs us something, but in the long run, not doing this Ignoring this costs far more. Uh, the costs are far too high to not do this. And I know what it's like um, to have a sustained commitment to the presence of Jesus in your personal rhythms every single day feels really costly. It certainly feels costly at half five or six o'clock or half six in the morning and their bed is warm and the coffee's not made yet and... I am gonna, you know, I'd rather be in bed and spend time with Jesus while I'm asleep, you know? It feels super costly. It actually costs huge chunks of our time and our day when we feel at times, I could be way more productive, but I have to give myself to time with Jesus over the next hour. The sermon is waiting, or the people are demanding, or the whatever, and it feels costly. But Dallas Willard reminds us 
um, that non-discipleship costs even more. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith, that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. It costs hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It costs us power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. I couldn't say it any better myself. I'd love to rush into how, how we might begin to do this. Here's some hows that have been helpful for me, for Harmony, for our church, and uh, hopefully they might be helpful for you. Uh, my first how is just simply this. Start somewhere. Start anywhere. Um, I'm the kind of personality that I need to have it all figured out, have all questions answered, uh, everything perfect before I release something into the real world or try something, you know? Uh, I used to golf, believe it or not. I was a terrible golfer, but I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I was so embarrassed and nervous to begin golfing because I had never golfed before. And I thought I'd be really bad, so I didn't want to try it. And I would only golf like uh, at twilight when there was less people around and stuff like that. But it was like, why should I, <laughs> why should I be a great golfer if I've never golfed before? Right? You just have to jump in somewhere and go for it and get over yourself. And uh, my best advice is start somewhere. Start where you are. Don't start where, you know, Dallas Willard got to uh, before he went to be with Jesus. Don't start where John Mark Comer currently is and his faith community currently is. Or, you know, don't start where somebody else is. Start where you are. And don't let guilt cycles uh, prevent you from just starting. What do I mean by guilt cycles? Well, the cycle of guilt where we don't take any action to build life with Jesus uh, because we feel guilty that we don't spend time with Jesus. And this is cycle of guilt. Like, I feel really guilty uh, because I haven't spent time with Jesus, and so I'm going to not spend any time with Jesus because I feel guilty. And we just get on this weird loop, and we just don't actually ever do anything in the real world. We actually need to embrace the truth of the gospel that Jesus loves us, forgives us, and we are not doing these rhythms or practices to make him like us or to earn his love. We are simply taking up his invitation into life in the kingdom of God. And it's a step into freedom, not greater bondage. And so we just need to start somewhere. And we need to start in grace, not guilt. Does that make sense? And so I often tell folks in my church, you know, who may have a church background and, you know, in their minds, you know, practices like prayer or reading the Bible were the things you had to do but didn't want to do. They were like homework that you're just like, I wish I could just go be free and stuff like that. And I always encourage them, don't, don't think of it like homework. Think about it like spending time with a friend. Think of it like an invitation into greater freedom an invitation into life and his kingdom. And these are just simply practices that help you learn how to do that better. Uh, another thing is think rhythms, patterns, habits, formational practices rather than tasks, okay? Rhythms are things you do regularly that like set the pace or keep the beat. They help you bring momentum when you don't actually have it yourself. Um, if you ever, I love watching live music and um, even watch it, I'm sure, the next time we worship uh, as families of churches here um, tonight, 
you'll see the rhythm section is just, they've got the steady rhythm so that the vocalists and maybe the electric guitarists, you know, can, can go off on one and do all that stuff. But the, the rhythm section just keeps the steady beat, the steady momentum to keep things on track. Uh, it was an important day for me when I realized I needed to just not just have a quiet time, uh, but I actually needed rhythms in my daily life that kept bringing me back to his love and his presence. So think rhythms, think practices, think habits that actually uh, have, take on a momentum of their own and propel you after a while. Again, not things we do to make God like us more, not things we do to get sermon illustrations and ideas, although he will speak to you about your sermons and your time with him. I've tried to tell him not to do that and he doesn't listen to me. Um, but think rhythms, patterns of things that we give ourselves to over and over and over again that anchor us in the love of Jesus and his presence for us. Not so we can dip in and out when we need to fill up, but as a place we live from that overflows and brings transformation to our real lives and to the lives of those we love and serve and are raising up to be leaders. And for me, those rhythms certainly include the scriptures in both devotional ways, reading them in a devotional way. Actually, I do most of my devotional scripture work um, by listening. I've, in the last year, I've gotten this app called Dwell, um, which you can check out if you want to. And these wonderful people with all different accents read you the Bible. And it's really well done. I don't get a penny. It costs you money. You can check it out. I don't get a penny for it. So if you want to get it, you know, it's great. If you don't want to get it, that's great too. But, uh, you know, there's this devotional interaction with the scriptures. There's also memorization of scripture, very important. But also study, deep study of the scriptures, which isn't devotional, but you're spending sustained time in a structured way digging deep into scripture. So for me, it certainly involves the scriptures, the prayer, journaling, reflection, a bit of work with the daily examine at times, certainly Sabbath. I'll get into that in a minute here. Um, Again, like that rhythm section in a band just keeps the steady beat of us returning to Jesus' life and presence. And what I have found super helpful and super important as a vineyard person is that I need rhythms that I decide in advance that I intend to keep for a season, which eliminates the need for constant creativity and invention, which can lead to paralysis. What do I mean by that? Well, we're vineyard people, right? So we're doers. And we like to think outside the box. And we like to be people of action. And we like to change it up and all that stuff. And I just found when I applied that to my life with Jesus, I got stuck in paralysis because I felt this pressure of having to be creative and have something brand new to do every single day or twice a day. And I felt like I'd get bored if I just did the same thing over and over again. But what I found was I got into paralysis. And by having a set, steady rhythm that was changed only seasonal, it provided huge momentum for me. And I got out of paralysis because I didn't have to decide what I was going to do every day. I had made a big decision a couple of months ago about this is what I'm going to do every single day because I've decided it's really important that I do this every single day. And after a while, that brings its own momentum. And so when I'm exhausted and tired and, and just don't have any capacity or that's what it feels like, that momentum is already built up and that pushes me along until the rest of me gets in gear. And I would just commend that to you. If every day you feel like you need to reinvent your time with Jesus, you're just gonna get stuck. 
But if for a season you know what you're gonna do and when you're gonna do it, it eliminates a bunch of decisions and puts you in the place of momentum for just doing what you have already decided to do. And so let the power of no decisions take you places. It's amazing. Um, another thing I would commend to you is do it first. Do it first. Now, we're all different. I'm a morning person. And for me, doing late night stuff is not very fruitful. And for me, early, early mornings, really fruitful. You might be the opposite, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you, and there's nothing wrong with me. Um, but I have just found that doing it first, doing it early, and getting it right in there has been amazingly helpful as a discipline, okay? Uh, my days just get away from me unless I put it in and I do it and I plan it. Um, being busy and not planning it in are huge obstacles. And actually taking some time and some intention and scheduling things into our days, that's not the devil. That's such really good planning, okay? So put it in your schedule. And maybe you are an, an evening person. Well, that's fine. Put it in your schedule. Just, just do it. Don't miss it. Don't let other things crowd it out because they will. They will compete for it uh, vigorously. Um, I learned um, that I needed to, instead of fitting my time with Jesus into my life, I needed to rearrange my life around my time with Jesus. It's really, really different than just trying to fit it in. And of course, we all have busy, crazy weeks. Like this is a busy, crazy week where we're probably all out of our normal rhythms. And so sometimes, yeah, you got to figure it out and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but generally speaking, we need to rearrange our lives around our time with Jesus rather than the other way around. And you just need to take some time and decide, well, when is best and when do I want to do that? What are my bio rhythms like? What, you know, what is going to be absolutely best? What are the rhythms of my family? When is it best for me to do this? and then arrange everything else around that. You might be asking the question, um, what if I have young kids? What if I have a growing business? What if I have a very busy work schedule? I'm bivocational, I'm trying to lead a church and I'm trying to run a business or, or work somewhere. And um, I would just say to you, you need to give yourself the freedom to find the right rhythms for seasons, especially for the young kids stage. Um, the advice I give to young moms and young dads um, when the young kids stage is there is uh, the thing that I did when my kids were really young. And I couldn't get up earlier than my kids because they were always up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they weren't great sleepers, so I was always up with them. Um, and uh, I just, what I ended up doing was I just took what I thought I should do in a day with Jesus whether that's reading the Bible and prayer, and we'll get into some specific things in a minute, but just take what I thought I should do in a day and stretch it out over a week and just give myself some grace there. Um, Harmony and I also work together on this to just, you know, one of us would, would take the kids for an intentional period of time to release the other to have a prayer day or something like that. We just got really creative, so there are things you can do. Um, I just read a book by a wonderful writer called Ronald Rollheiser. He's written some amazing books, uh, but he's just written this tiny little book, really, really small. It's called Domestic Monastery. And he has a section uh, directed right at parents, but specific, specifically mothers of young kids. 
And he is a monastic, and he argues that what, what monastics go into solitude for, the transformation and change in their lives, uh, is a very close parallel to what parents, but specifically mothers, go through when their children are very young, and the service and love and care and transformation of heart. So he has this book called Domestic Monastery, and a really small chapter addresses particularly young moms and what can happen there. If you're in that young kid stage and that is sparking your heart, I would say that's the best bit of advice I have ever read is that little chapter by Ronald Rollsheiser, worth the weight, its weight in gold. Um, I do want to talk about one type of prayer, um, and that is uh, silence, silent prayer, contemplative prayer, lots of different names. I call it the prayer of presence. Um, I have a deep commitment and have learned to have a deep commitment to silence in the presence of Jesus. It is the one type of prayer that has completely changed me. Um, again, called many things, centering prayer, but it's a time of silence and solitude every day for extended period of time, deliberately sitting in his presence. So I daily spend extended times in silence before the Lord Jesus, entering into his presence, receiving his love, and pouring out my adoration of him, listening to him. That has changed me pretty radically over time. My wife will be here on Thursday, and you can ask her. She'll tell you the truth. I believe, I am, I'm a, I am so love our vineyard movement, and I love how... You know, we just hold out that in every moment, the presence and power of the Spirit can hit us and change things right now. I love that, and I am sold out for that. Um, but I've also come to the conviction that, that that is not enough, that there are some things that can only be healed over time in the presence of Jesus, and we need both. We need that expectation, and we also need daily commitment to attending to his presence, daily moments in the secret place, the silence, the one-on-ones with Jesus as a son or daughter. We need rhythms in his presence that keep us receiving his love. Romans 5.5 talks about the Holy Spirit's role is to shed abroad or pour out the love of God into our hearts. It's one of the things that he longs to do for us. What, are, what is in, in place in our lives that actually keeps us in that place of attending and adoration where we're receiving the love of God over and over and over? For me, that is silence in his presence. I have a spiritual director, um, and I've been working with him for a good few years now. And uh, we just discovered after reviewing kind of the last 18 months or so, we had this conversation and um, he just said to me, the things you brought up to me 18 months ago, you're not bringing up anymore. And so we had a chat about that and he just looked at me, he's not from a vineyard tradition, he just looked at me and he just said, you have experienced deep healing in the presence of Jesus. And I just think silence, centering prayer, really can help us grow in this. I think silence in his presence is one of the fullest expressions of the gospel. We come into the presence of the Lord without fear, shame, 
No need to perform. No need to pray the right prayers or even pray anything at all. Confident that we are saved by grace and welcomed in. And we can receive from him. It's the fullest, to me, it's one of the fullest expressions of the gospel. We simply come and are welcomed into the presence of Jesus because what have he's done for us on the cross? There is so much noise in our world, certainly as pastors, there's so much noise from social media to the way we do friendships and get information. It's so intense and present all the time and it drowns out so much. If we wanna make an impact in this world, I would say one of the things we are going to need to do is to commit as a response to Jesus intentional times of solitude and silence in his presence, away from the noise, not making any noise, and allow him to speak to us, to transform us, to love us, allow him to speak to us and allow us to listen to him. I regard it as the most important part of my day where I sit in silence before the Lord, loving him, allowing him to love me, listening to him as I'm attentive to his presence. Some days he speaks a lot to me. Other days I really do sense his presence. Other days I don't hear him say anything at all. Other days I don't sense his presence at all. Other days I fall asleep in his presence. So don't think that you have to be completely perfect or it's gonna be you know, the best thing ever every day. But we need rhythms that keep us in this place. A devotional writer who was a Quaker, so we should love him in the vineyard, right? It's a man called Thomas Kelly. He said, listening to the eternal involves a silence within us. He wrote a book called A Testament of Devotion that I would highly recommend. Listening to the eternal involves a silence within us. If you want to lead from the place of deep stillness, peace, and rest, to have reserves of those things available during the high stress and emergency crisis times we all face, if you want to give away deep peace and rest and stillness to the people around you who are in crisis, you need to be accessing peace in the presence of Jesus daily. You need to be entering into those things with him. And just silence and stillness are huge ways that over time those things are deposited in us. If we can't be still in his presence regularly because we don't have time or we don't want to or don't want to learn how, we just can't expect to be able to access them on a regular basis when we need it most. Um, my dear friend Michael Munson, who's going to be coming up here in a few minutes and sharing with you some of the resources that our movement has for you and has for your churches to access, to help them grow in this. Um, he just made this point to me that when we walk into a room, we bring our inner lives with us. And if our inner lives are full of insecurity and anxiety, we are going to fill a room with that. And it's going to be reacting to other people's insecurities and anxieties and fears and all that stuff. What if, by and large, when we walked in a room, we brought stillness, peace, rest, and joy, and let that infiltrate rooms? What if we had reserves in those areas that when the hard times came, we actually had money in the bank, so to speak, to draw from? This last December in our community, um, 
it was hard, really hard. Um, and uh, myself and some of our other staff members were at the tip of the spear of that. It's crisis time. It was very busy. Uh, and there were just some purely awful things we were dealing with. Um, and I found, though, that this commitment to rhythms with Jesus, this commitment to silence and solitude had built up reserves in me that sustained me. And so for the most part, in a crucial crisis time in our community, I was able to do the tasks that only I could do from the place of peace and rest and invite other people who are in deep anxiety into those places and we were able to get through it. It is possible to do it. Another thing, moving on quickly, that I would say is to harness Sabbath. Um, I'm not gonna say much on this because uh, John Mark Comer uh, will, uh, if he doesn't speak about it in his sessions with us um, this week, I'd be surprised, but he has written extensively and spoken extensively, as have many other leaders, and I would just commend it to you. Powerful, it's a powerful thing. For Harmony and myself, our experience of the love of God deepened significantly when we began to take Sabbath seriously, a 24-hour period of physical rest, but also spiritual restoration and delight every week, slowing down, living in gratitude. In Sabbath, we remember and experience the rest and love of Jesus. It's an amazing discipline. It's a hard discipline. Um, Sabbath is about uh, goodness and enjoyment and relationships and fun and blessing and food and feasting and doing things that you enjoy that give you life and rejuvenate you. All the powerful things in this world that God has given us to enjoy. Uh, and most of all, we get to enjoy him. Sabbath isn't a holiday. It's not just rest for your body and mind. It's also about encountering deeply God's goodness to your soul and your spirit, your spiritual life with him. Again, check out more of what John Mark Comer and others would say about Sabbath, but I would tell you from my own experience that if you begin to practice Sabbath, it will not only make your weeks an awful lot better, uh, it will impact your daily rhythms with Jesus. It will also increase your leadership capacity, your joy capacity, your peace, your wholeness, your ability to give those things to others. Practice Sabbath. It is hard it takes perseverance, it will be challenged, but I guarantee you, it will change you and you will meet with God. Another thing to think about is a rule of life. We have learned to implement an overall rule of life uh, for each season. Uh, a rule of life is simply, um, you can be very detailed with one of these or you can be a little bit less detailed uh, with these things. It's where we take time in advance before the Lord with the counsel of others as well and their wisdom, where we just make big decisions about our life for a certain season. What are our priorities in advance? And what's at the center of that is keeping ourselves in within the love of Jesus and time in his presence. Like what does our life need to look like to prioritize that? How are we gonna wrap our lives around our deep, rich, intimate friendship with Jesus in this season? And it becomes a framework and it helps you establish boundaries. It helps you really quickly decide what do I need to say no to? We get to decide in advance what do we need in our lives in this season given all we're being asked to carry, all of our responsibilities, everything that's going on, what do we need life to look like in order to love Jesus well and receive from him? And then we just put those things in place and live it out as like a rule or a way. It means we say lots of no's to things that overload us, that eliminate our margins, that compete for the space 
uh, that Jesus wants to occupy, and we say no's to things so we can say yeses to other things. In this season, this is how I am going to follow Jesus and make sure there is margin in my life to do the things Jesus has asked me to do. Uh, I'm right in the process of needing to update mine. And uh, it's a wonderful process, it's a difficult process, but it has been life-changing for me and for Harmony. Uh, pay attention to your physical body. Um, things like sleep, stress, exercise, these are hugely uh, helpful things to think about. Um, for a while in my life, I thought I was under spiritual attack from the devil and all his demons. Just, I need to go to bed earlier. That was it, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> the hordes of hell were not, you know, crashing through my little door. I just, you know, needed to find some, you know, maturity and go to bed early. Sleep is hugely important. Um, are, are we carrying stress? Are we carrying stress that we're not aware of? Hugely important conversation for your daily rhythms. Um, do we exercise? You know, I'm not saying you have to be an Ironman triathlete or something like that, but my life with Jesus changed, again, pretty dramatically. I got a prophetic word from somebody that said, God has some things for you to do, and he wants you physically fit, so get running. And so, you know, I didn't have enough money to join a gym, so running's free, so I just started to run, and it changed my uh, life in a lot of ways and certainly changed my life and relationship and rhythms with Jesus. It decreased stress, it helped my sleep, and it just opened up a greater capacity for lots of things, including time with Jesus. So uh, whatever that looks like for you, uh, would you pay attention to what your physical body is telling you? Um, and it might just be as simple as you can't get up at 5.45 a.m., spend time with Jesus when you go to bed at 12.45 a.m on a sustained basis, so, you know, it might be really good news for you. It might not be the demons. You just might need, you might need to go to bed. Really simple. Uh, really quickly, uh, think about your stage in life. I've only just begun to notice this um, because of people in my church and then in my own life. We just ask different questions at different stages of our life. Um, you ask different questions in your 40s than you ask in your 20s. And you ask different questions in your 60s than you do in your 40s. Um, again, Ronald Rollsheiser has kind of three categories of discipleship in life. Um, if he talks about the category of essential discipleship. These are his words. Um, when we're asking the questions, who am I? Who is God? What do I do? Do I marry? Or where do I plant myself in life? And these are kind of the questions of early adulthood, okay? Um, then he has this, uh, the next kind of stage, which is kind of, you know, you've got Maybe you have some children, maybe you've married, or you're further on in your career, and you're just not asking the questions you were asking in your 20s. These are the questions of your, like, your late 30s and 40s and a little bit beyond, and he calls it generative discipleship stage, where um, you've answered a lot of those earlier questions, uh, now you're asking different questions. How do I give myself away? How do I remain faithful? How am I sustained with all of my commitments, all those people that depend on me? Um... That's kind of that stage of life. There's some of those questions. And then he's got his last stage, which would be kind of your, roughly speaking, your 60s and onwards. He calls it radical discipleship. Um, 
and you know, he's talking about our, or thinking about our final years. How do I live well with the end in sight? Uh, just, you can check that out from Ronald Rollsheiser, but the point is, we just ask way different questions in, way, in different seasons, which require different things. And I've just watched a number of people, they joined our church you know, 15 years ago when they were in their early 20s, and now they're in their early to mid 40s, and they've just started all of a sudden en masse, ask the same questions, and they're struggling. But they're trying to, you know, trying to connect with Jesus with rhythms that worked in their 20s, and they need different rhythms for their 40s. And that might be helpful to you. That will definitely be happening in your church context. Last thing I'll just say is consider spiritual direction. A spiritual director is someone who helps you discern what God is saying to you and doing with you. Uh, they kind of sit down with you on a six-weekly or monthly or whatever basis, and they help you process what God is doing and kind of draw things out of you and help frame things for you. Very, very helpful process through. Um, there we go. Um, so how might we give this away to others? I'm going to say a few things, and then uh, I'm going to turn it over to Michael. You might be like, look, uh, Andy, you, you gave me some mildly helpful things there. Um, but like I was hoping for a how-to. I was hoping for like a step-by-step. Just tell me what to do. Um, well, uh, I wrote a little booklet called How to Spend Time with Jesus. And uh, some people thought it was good, so they printed it. And uh, you can actually get it. You can get it over at the book stall there. It looks like this. Um, of course I would recommend it to you because I wrote it. I don't get any royalties or anything for it, so I can say then go buy one and, you know, I'm not, it's not putting my kids through university or anything like that, so. Um, but this is, we, I just wrote this up for my church to, um, to just really step by step, how might we follow Jesus? Uh, because here's what I kept finding. I kept going uh, in rooms in my church and around our movement here, uh, so UK, Ireland, then parts of Europe in the States and speaking at things and talking about following Jesus. And I just asked in every room, so how many of you have ever had anybody take you by the hand and just show you exactly how they follow Jesus? Like just show hands and just do it now. How many? Like you've had somebody sit you down in a sustained way and like just do what I do. Anybody have that? Yeah, so that's pretty much average, like not a lot of us. So that should tell us a couple things. <laughs> if we're wondering why the wider church is in the state it's in, that might be a reason, like we're not telling people how to actually follow Jesus. And I just kept follow, finding people in my own church that they just don't, didn't know how to pray. So we, I would preach a sermon on, you should pray. And they're like, thanks, thanks. How do I pray? Or how do I read the Bible? Or how do I worship? Or stuff like that. So... I just decided, okay, um, we need to do something about that. So I wrote up this little booklet, and it's just simply what I, at that time, was doing to follow Jesus. And there's some introductions there um, about how to be in his presence, some practical advice, how to and start to begin and engage in silence. So, um, and it's designed that you could use it for uh, 10 minutes a day or an hour a day, and it's really flexible. And I would just say, look, if you're struggling with the real basics, there's no problem with that. Maybe pick that up and check it out again. I don't get any money for it or anything like that, so grab one. Um, I would encourage you maybe to think about if you have no discipleship plan uh, to help people in your church begin to learn how to follow Jesus and begin to give this life away and live from this place, maybe introduce them to this booklet if you don't have anything else. Um, but how to help others? Uh, 
let's see, what should I say? Oh, do it yourself first, that's good. <laughs> uh, build your own rhythms and then invite other people into your rhythms. This isn't like a project to roll out in your church um, and then delegate to another staff person. If you try and do that, it just won't take. You have to live this. And the powerful thing is if you do live this, people will want what you have. They'll want what you have. They're desperate and they're hungry for a life lived in the presence of Jesus. They're desperate for life in the kingdom. They're desperate for the words and promises of Jesus uh, and the tasks that Jesus assigns us as Christians to go from fairy tale to possible. They're longing for that. And we need this operational in our lives to the best of our ability, and then they're gonna want it, and that's the process. If we just try and say, here's a booklet, you should do it, it's just not gonna work. So um, you should preach and cast vision out of the transformation Jesus brings. You should preach a lot about intimacy with Jesus and you should use yourself as the illustration. Not in a grandiose way. You should tell, tell on yourself. You should talk about your failures. You should tell about how um, Jesus is powerfully impacting you in spite of yourself. You should say when you get it wrong and you should say where you're seeing life. And you should invite them in. That should season your preaching and your communication. You should teach and you should train on this. Um, in all those rooms across the world I've been in, and we did the poll here, it has never been more than 25% of the room has ever had anybody take them by the hand and show them how they follow Jesus. And uh, so you should get busy in some way, shape, or form doing that in your local community. Now, if you lead a huge church like Trent Vineyard, you know, that will look a certain way. Uh, or if you lead a church plant or a small group, that will look a certain way. We just need to get busy uh, building this into our churches. Um, I, I can't disciple everybody one-on-one, -on -one, so I wrote up a basic framework of how I do it and try to be really flexible. Uh, again, how you might begin a life of silence. Really simple, step-by-step. -step. Even there's some set prayers that I pray. Um, and again, if you, it's a starter, so if you have no clue where to begin, maybe do that. Um, we also have wrapped a course around it that we call the Following Jesus Course. We've run it five or six times. A friend of mine and I have written it up, and uh, we do that, and we take groups of about 10 or 15 people through that, and it's people that are just finally willing to be honest in church and just be like, I need more in my relationship with Jesus. I've never had anybody show me how. I wanna do this, and so we gather over nine weeks, and we have individual nights on prayer and scriptures and identity and worship and formation, and we talk about some obstacles to spiritual formation, things like unforgiveness, so how to forgive people. Uh, unresolved conflict is a big barrier to intimacy with Jesus, so we talk about how to do conflict well, a few other things. And over nine weeks, we really challenge them, do the booklet every day, and then engage with the material that we're doing weekly uh, as you explore this stuff in community, and you will begin to build a life with Jesus. That's just simply a training environment that we have so over and over, we're inviting people into life with Jesus and to help them and to show them uh, in as much of a hands-on way as possible deep, how to build deep rhythms with him. Uh, if you're a pastor and you have leaders who report to you or um, serve under your authority or staff, um, just begin to insist on it from them. Insist that they live this kind of life as much as possible. You know, it's not North Korea. We can't make people do things. But, you know, we can insist with the people who are following us. So uh, I would encourage you to begin to build this into staff rhythms. 
Um, I ask about it in staff reviews. I ask about who on their teams, their volunteer leaders, like how is their life with Jesus? Do you know? Are you asking about that with them? Are you processing through how they're following Jesus and living in his presence? Um, other things we've done over the years is just on small groups based on this. Are you hungry for Jesus and do you want to learn how to have deeper rhythms of friendship with him? And I just, I've just done small groups on this for years and they, I had different titles every time, but they just were up on the same thing. Like how might we build this kind of life together in community? It's amazing doing this for you. It's a whole nother level of amazing when we do this in community. It's really powerful. Um, slowly add it to not just small groups, but things like serving teams and stuff like that. So we've challenged like our worship teams or our coffee teams or just the different teams that we have in church to not just serve, but to begin, like if it's a worship practice, hey, we're going to start with the daily examine and we're going to use those resources and we're going to start with this and then we're going to get on to practicing for the worship set or something like that. And it's just a simple way to get people dipping their toe into this and start to begin to insist that this filters through all layers of church and community. So I would encourage you to, to, when you gather teams, don't just train on how to make a great cup of coffee to welcome people on a Sunday morning, but what if we began with rhythms or what if we, we just talked about this and invited people in? Um, insist from people on a rule of life, build it into your counseling. So when people come to you and say, I want to... If this is going on or, or whatever in my life, you know, just begin to insist on a rule of life. Throw it out there as a possibility. Um, have you ever considered uh, having a rule of life? What is that? And you begin to teach and train in big groups and small groups. Um, I think the last thing I want to say on this is I see I told you I'd mess this up. Uh, there we go. There we go. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Um, I've just found that I've had to be a cheerleader in our church for this, and not just demonstrate that it's plausible for people, but to just really encourage them into it. Lots of repetition, and then just lovingly insisting on it from our leaders and other influencers and uh, those we have authority over, um, and just it needs to flow from us and our rhythms with Jesus, but then we just need to be encouragers if this is possible. I think that's one of my roles you know, I've done different seminars at times, NLC, and, you know, we're doing one today. And you don't meet, need me to get up here and, you know, you need to pray more and uh, give you a hard time. We all need people in our lives that say, I believe in you. This life is possible. I see your hunger. I see your desire. Jesus wants to pour out his presence and his power in your churches. He wants to pour it out in your life. He wants to give you life abundant. He wants you uh, living in the John 15 life of abiding and then fruitfulness. He wants you to come unto him and then be sent by him in real power. He wants to increase your capacity for power. You're doing well. Hunger is a good sign. Keep going, keep going, keep going. That's part of my job here today. So I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you feel hungry. I hope you feel like you want more. Uh, and the good news is, is we have some more. So, Michael, put your hands together for Michael. <laughs> Michael lives this, and uh, he cares about it a lot. And over time, our movement uh, under Michael and other people's leadership has produced a lot of wonderful resources for you and our churches. 
Uh, so here's some things you can access like now from Michael to you with love. There you go. Great. Over to you, sir. Yeah, we should clap for him. He actually did something. So, yeah, it's awesome. I got the clap before I even got up here. Now I gotta live up to it. Um, so, uh, okay, my name's Michael. I oversee a few different areas within uh, Vineyard Churches, one of which is spiritual direction. And so that's some of the resource that I'm gonna talk about just for a minute here so you can get out of here on time and go to the next thing. Um, but the first thing I wanted, I just wanted to reiterate that, that thing that Andy brought up with the whole idea that um, if you work with people, teams, staff teams, or even you're overseeing a ministry and you have teams, or even on the job if it's possible to figure out how to contextualize this, just giving permission to have as a priority spiritual formation rhythms of some sort. I think in a secular environment, there's, there's ways that you can talk about it of just healthy living um, that, can, that can just help provide healthy spaces because healthy people that you work with, whether it's in church or out of church, is going to create healthy environments. And so helping talk about daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rhythms. Um, I, I, I've been on a staff team where that was part of our goals and objectives every year is to write out what are my rhythms going to be, and I was held to account for those things. And that actually helped me kind of break some cycles in my life, because for my own formation, I just, I, I kind of liked just doing some more spontaneous things. Um, and, and the discipline part was just a little bit harder to get over, but to have a little bit of accountability, even being on a team, helped out a lot um, in that. And so just, I think, giving permission to say that that's a priority, if you're in a place of leadership, I think can be really healthy and really helpful to um, kind of change some of the, the, the cultural norms with that kind of thing. So uh, the, the first thing I want to talk about, especially for senior pastors currently, but as this matures, it, it'll go further out. It'll, it'll keep moving within our movement, which is spiritual direction. So uh, a lot of people ask me, what is spiritual direction? Um, and Because it, it's different than coaching. It's different than mentoring. It's, it's different than counseling. Um, and so here, here's a, a little like, picture of it is sometimes we, we, uh, we say it like this. If you fell down a well, uh, a coach would look down the well and say, what resources do you have? to get yourself out of the well. And a spiritual director would look down the well and say, how are you experiencing Jesus at the bottom of that well? And, and, and yeah, it's a, little, it's a little funny, but it's actually a really great picture because coaching is all about, it's all about like objectives and goals and overcoming obstacles and, and, and that sort of thing. And spiritual direction is a safe place that somebody who can come alongside you, who is probably not part of your context, they can come alongside and, and they can help journey with you as you're trying to figure out what is Jesus doing in my life? Like, how, how am I internally reacting to what Jesus is doing in my life? How, what does he think about me? And, and it, it brings me back to some of the things that, uh, that, that Calvin talked about as, as the most important parts of spirituality, which is self-awareness and God-awareness. So we want to cultivate spaces like that, and a spiritual director is perfect for that. And, and so we've been pouring into this as a movement, and we've trained up spiritual directors for senior pastors. We want to give it away free to senior pastors because we think that if we can help senior pastors find that space to process that stuff, not only is it going to bring health in them, help them run the race for a long time, but it's also going to help their communities and all the people that they're going to interact with. Um, and so if you have any questions about spiritual direction, please come and find me. We will be training more and more people. So if you've been thinking about it, even if, uh, as I talk about it, you're thinking, that, sound, that sounds interesting. I want to know more about that training. You can come and find me. Um, the, other th the other thing is our um, pastor soul care retreats. Um, and these, these have been happening for, I think, about, about six years or so. And, and it's a, it's a three-year kind of long process. But it's really to help uh, kind of reconnect pastors with Jesus, recuperate when 
things have been hard for a long time or you just, things feel just kind of dull to kind of just bring it, bring you back. Bring it back to Jesus. And, and so uh, we, we have a, a sign-up for that, and that's another thing that you can go on the Vineyard Church's website and, and send an email to get more information. You can talk to your area and regional leaders. You can also come and find me, and I'll get you connected to that. But then the, the last thing I want to say is, is a little bit more about our, our uh, spiritual directors, and especially uh, to, to those of you who are, are senior pastors in churches or maybe you have a heart for this in your church, that they're there not just to be spiritual directors for individuals, but they're kind of ambassadors for spiritual formation in our movement. They've gone through a two-year-long training. They've lived this day in and day out in intense ways. They've read all the good books on it. They've been practicing it on each other and other people. They've gone and done retreats for groups. So these are the people that if you want to help kind of sow this into your communities, into your churches, these are the people to find. And they'll come and they'll run retreats. They'll come and take a, a leadership team out and do some sort of retreat, you know, whether it's a silent retreat or something other like that. And, and so if that's something you're just like, I want to do it, but I don't know what to do. I need some help doing it. You can just come and find me and I'll get you connected to the person who's closest to you. And we can start to dream about how to get this just more into our communities. That's it. Brilliant. Why don't you stand? They need the room. I've talked far too long, so thank you for listening. I'm gonna pray for you really quick, and then we'll be done. I'll be around uh, for as long as we need to if you wanna chat or anything like that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this good and beautiful life we get to live, and uh, we thank you that we are invited into your kingdom. Would you show us how to live in it? I ask your blessing upon these people and their churches and I bless you to pursue Jesus deeply and to be filled with his peace and rest and love for you. And I bless you to experience the dynamic of overflow that what he does in your souls, lives, and bodies overflows beyond you. We bless you to rest and not strive. We bless you to love Jesus and be loved by him and bless you with the power of his Holy Spirit to equip and train others to receive from Jesus for themselves. So Lord, would you fill them with your power? Would you empower them? And would you cause a revolution in their hearts and souls and a revolution in our movement and in our lands in this day because we are attending to you and your manifest presence and to your kingdom. We receive your promises and your goodness. Amen. Amen. We're done. Thank you. Marathon over.